Hey, I'm Stephen Hovatter, the lead minister at Central Church of Christ in Little Rock, Arkansas. Our goal as a church is to follow Jesus together. So we gather on Sunday mornings for Bible study at 9 a.m. and worship at 10, 15 a.m. And you'd always be welcome to join us. To learn more, go to arcentralchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon. Oh, Lord God, God of the story and God of the mission, God of the promise and God of the keeper, the keeping of the promise. Would you in this moment, as we're gathered together as a family around your table and around your word, would you speak to us again so that we may become closer to you, more in tuned with what you're doing in the world, more closely aligned with your purposes for the world and for us. And may we from, go from this table, um, refreshed by your spirit, encouraged and with a deeper understanding of what it means to be your people. In Jesus we pray, amen. So good morning. It's been good to be here today. It's been good to be in classes and, and to be in worship today. And it's been wonderful to just be a part of the the beauty of worship so far this morning, uh, whether that's the beauty of the songs that we've sung this morning, which have been so striking to me, or uh, the beauty of uh, listening to the bells talk about uh, dinnertime. Uh, where's uh, where, Brady? Brady, March 5th, March 5th, my birthday, you take me out and it's on you, okay? So you'll be paying for that. Um, and I'll be stocking up. Um, <laughs> Uh, or whether the, the beauty of the way that Jack called us into worship this morning uh, with his stuff. I just really appreciate um, so, so much of our morning together. And of our study in the classes, uh, we've been, in our classes we're doing the same uh, basic sketch that we're doing here in, in worship right now. Um, I hope you'll think about joining and being a part of those classes if you haven't yet. It's really been a good way for us to deepen our understanding. And this conversation that we're having in our scripture uh, time in, in the sermons uh, is really being doubled and, and worked through in those class times too. So uh, if you haven't joined into one of those, they, we, have, we have some amazing people leading our classes. Uh, and I've just, I loved it. I sat in with the 30s today. Scott, you're ripping that stuff up. Uh, and not just, not, just, not just about the leader of the class, right? But the people in the class, like continuing the conversation, exploring what's, uh, what's in the Bible uh, and what it means for us. It's, it's just so important, right? And so um, I want to think about that a little bit more later today, uh, but I just want to say from the beginning, I hope you'll join in and be a part of one of those learning communities. We're working through 10 steps of the mission and the story of God. And here are the 10 steps that we've kind of identified. Uh, we've kind of looked at these as moments in the story, beginning with creation and uh, then the story of creation continues with the corruption of the world. Uh, and then it begin, goes on to covenant. And we're going to be in covenant uh, in just a moment. But I want you to look at this, this set of 10. Go ahead and uh, let me have those real quick, Lynn. And um, these, these set of 10, 10 moments in the story of God's work in the Bible, um, I, I want to pitch you something just a little bit different about what they are, because they are, there is a sequence here. This is the story of scripture in its sequence of uh, beginning with creation and going all the way until Christ's return at the end. We'll get to that in a couple of months. 
But I want to point out something because it's important as we study today to understand that not only are these a sequence of moments in the story, but they are. we can also think of them like threads that run throughout the story too. And here's what I mean by that. It's not just that there is one creation moment, okay? But what happens is that over time, God reveals new times where Creation is being revisited. And the thread of creation, which begins in chapter one, is going to continue to be woven through the fabric of the story. Uh, Same with the corruption. It's not just that there's one moment in Genesis chapter three of the fall of humanity, but rather that corruption thread of how creation goes from being a place of life to a place of violence. That thread is going to continue to be woven through the story. God doesn't just make one covenant in the story, and nor is there just one exodus. But covenants and exodus are going to be themes that are going to show back in. There's always going to be a time when God makes or keeps a promise, and there will be a time where God delivers people from a time when they're being oppressed. Those things aren't just one moment in the story. They're themes that are going to be woven through the story. Once they're introduced, then we see them coming up more and more often. And that, and that really is true in all of these in, in a certain way. I just want to say that today uh, because when we come to the covenant part of the story, which is where we are today, we're not just thinking about one isolated story. Now it is something important that happens and definitive for the history of of God's people when God speaks to uh, Abram and decides to make a covenant with him, to make a deal with him, to make a promise to Abram. God is doing something that is going to forever shape the trajectory of the story. So it's a definitive moment. It's a special moment. But that's going to continue to recur over and over again. And part of what we do as we learn through the story, as we we learn these moments, is we're learning to recognize these threads when they show back up later in the story. Now, all good storytellers know how to do this, right? Now, I, I know that there are some uh, incredible storytellers here in our, who are the, I, I mean, I know a couple of them, but you tell me, who are some people here that are really great at telling a story? Now, that's a real question. I'm, I'm gonna have to wait, so think of somebody. Scott Dutile, great storyteller. That is true. I've heard him tell spin a yarn or two, and they are true. Yes, who? Lisa? Lisa? Lisa, you got one for us? Okay, I shouldn't put you on the spot. Never mind. But I, I bet she could stand up and deliver right on the spot. Yes, yes, good storyteller. Good, 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 good. Who else? Who? Soji? Tom Soji is a good storyteller. Can anybody else confirm this? Yeah, okay, all right, all right, I see some hands going in the air. I think Rick Barger, I, I don't know if half of what he's telling me is true, okay? But like, that dude can spin a story, can he? Yeah? All right. I see, I see Ella Toppy over here. Ella can spin a to- story. She can tell a story. You know it's true. You know it's true. I know that some of I know that some of you know you know when you're hearing a good story, right? And some of the great masters of storytelling. I've I've been reading through some rereading uh, C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy. Anybody ever read that before? 
One of the things that I love about the way Lewis tells tales, whether those space stories or whether it's the old Narnia Chronicles, is I love it when a theme that is introduced in one part of the story comes back later on in the story. We've been, Kelly and I have been watching only murders in the building on Hulu lately. I want to be clear that when I say something like that, I'm not necessarily recommending those, okay? But that's what we've been watching lately. And one of the devices that they use in telling those stories is that stuff reappears. It comes back and something that was part of the murder story early on is going to be revealed later on. All great storytellers know how to weave a thread all the way throughout. Whether we're thinking about Lewis or Steve Martin or, you know, Ella or Rick or Tom or Tolkien or whoever it is that are some of those masterful storytellers, things have a way of coming back around. And so it is with the story of God. And so we are not surprised that when we read of a story like Abraham, the longer we read, the more carefully we read, we find that we're not just reading about a story that happened a long, long time ago. We sometimes discover that it's the story that has been rolling along like a wheel. And that the things that were promised way back when or the things that Abraham discovered about the promise have a way of coming back around, right? So that being said, there's some stuff that's going to come back around for us in the story of Abraham. And if you would, let's look at it in Genesis chapter 18. In Genesis chapter 18, we have a deepening of Abraham's relationship with God. Now, now we're several chapters into the story of Abraham at this point, which began all the way back in chapter 11. And in chapter 12, we have the story where God promises uh, these things to Abraham that God is going to use Abram to be a blessing for all the nations indeed. Okay. So the story of Abraham has begun. It is, we, are, we are deeply into the story at this point. And over the course of those six chapters that have rolled on between uh, chapter 12 and now, we've had Abraham already into this, this mysterious process of waiting for an heir. God has told Abram, you're going to be the father of many nations. And Abram's like, well, that's nice. I'd just be nice if I have one kid, you know, that whole process of him waiting and becoming increasingly desperate for he and Sarah to have a child. We're, we're deeply into that. In chapter, um, in, the, in the previous chapter, we've already had this moment where um, Abram and Sarah have conspired basically to, uh, for them to have a child through, the, through their slave uh, Hagar. And it's a disaster of a story, and there's so much injustice in it. Uh, but we're already through that moment. And earlier in chapter 18, this story kind of starts in basically what's the fallout of the, the Hagar and Ishmael story. And I know that I'm, I'm skipping over a lot of things. I'm kind of counting on, um, counting on some prior knowledge of those. But by the time we get to chapter 18, that story is we're already midstream in it. Okay. 
And in fact, 18 starts with these mysterious visitors who come to Abram and Sarah and say, hey, hey, this thing that happened with Ishmael, it, it wasn't what God intended at all. And, and God is still going to be faithful uh, to Ishmael, and, and Ishmael's going to be blessed, actually, but that's not the story that God has for you. And Abram is told that he and Sarah, even though they are aged people, uh, they are going to have a, a child together. And that part of the story is well known. Sarah laughs. Abraham laughs. They're having a good old chuckle. You know, there's nothing nothing really funnier than the idea of some 90-year-olds uh, having a baby, except for unless you're 90 years old and then it's terrifying, okay? But then the story develops from there. And the next story that you'll find in your Bible in Genesis chapter 18 is going to be the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, these cities that God was going to destroy because of their great wickedness. And the catch is that Abraham's nephew has been living there. And that's going to create a problem because God, in throwing his lot in with Abraham is intending to be loyal to Abraham's people. So Abraham's nephew that's mixed up in all this stuff, how's God going to save him? And that's sort of the crisis of the Sodom and Gomorrah story. And I'm not going to tell that whole story today. But instead, I want to call attention to this thing that happens right before the Sodom and Gomorrah story because of what it teaches us about God and how God carries out his covenant. So if you will, read with me, and we're going to be beginning in chapter uh, Genesis 18 and verse 16 and following. And I want to read this some of this story to you because there's some hidden things in here that I think are really worth noticing. The men, the men who had come and gathered and told Abraham and Sarah about having a child, the men set out from there and they looked toward Sodom and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall become a great and mighty nation and all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. And then this is verse 19, and this is a very important verse in this story. Listen to this. No, for I have chosen him that he may charge his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Now that little verse, verse 19, I think is really important for our understanding of what's happening in this Abraham story. What is it that God is at work doing with this person, Abraham, and with his family that's going to grow and develop and really take on the rest of this story on, on from here? What's happening? 
God has selected in Abraham an ally who will be with him at work, joining his mission and producing a people who will keep his way, who will keep the way of the Lord and specifically keep the way of the Lord by doing what? Read on now. You got to have this answer ready for me. What by doing what? Righteousness and justice. And this is incredibly foundational to the story of Israel and the story of God's people in the scriptures. God must have a people of justice and righteousness. Now, all these other moments in the story that are going to come later, we're going to be dealing with the dynamic of how Israel experiences and either chooses to do or fails to do justice and righteousness. That is incredibly important in the Exodus and in the moment when they received the law at Sinai, which is right there with the Exodus story, right? It's incredibly important in deciding what kind of kingdom Israel will be. Will they be a kingdom of justice and righteousness or will they be a kingdom of injustice and idolatry? Will in the moments of the exile, what, what are the prophets telling them? What, are the, what does Isaiah have to say? What does Jeremiah have to say? What does uh, what does Amos have to say? You are exiled. You are, you are being punished. You have lost this moment with God. Why? Because you have failed to do justice and righteousness. And here in the, the story that we're getting with Abraham, Abraham is, is there. He's been given a promise. And God calls Abraham aside and says, okay, there's this moment that's about to happen with this, these cities. And I don't want to hide what I'm going to do from Abraham. And the reason he doesn't want to hide what he's going to do from Abraham is because Abraham needs to learn what it means to be an ally of justice and righteousness. And y'all tell me that that thread doesn't keep coming around. The story is even more dynamic than it might appear. Now, justice and righteousness, this is not going to be the only chance for God to teach Abraham and his children and, and, and their household after him what it means to be people of righteousness and justice. Indeed, that is what the Torah, that is what the law, that is what the, the prophets are going to be all about. The wisdom literature, all these things that are going to be part of the story from here are going to be part of that, okay? But this story has the most fascinating way of showing us about the dynamic relationship that Abraham has with God that allows him to explore and understand righteousness and justice, not just on the level of here are some rules to keep, but really searching it out in the way of God. Let's keep reading in this story just a little bit further. We're in verse 20 now, right? The Lord said to Abram, how great is the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah and how very grave their sin. I must go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the, the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Okay. Notice 
that these two cities, um, there is a cry against them. Okay, so there's already, there, there's, there are people just like Abram's descendants will do in Egypt and they will cry out to God for relief because of the oppression that they're experiencing as slaves in Egypt. There are some people and we don't know their names. We don't understand who exactly they are in this, in this story, right? But these cities are eliciting and provoking a cry to God for deliverance from whatever's happening in Sodom and Gomorrah, okay? So there's, there's some victim in this story that we don't really understand yet. We don't really have named for us. So the cry has gone out to God and God is, intends to come and investigate what's going on. Verse 22, so the men turned from there and went toward Sodom while Abraham remained Standing before the Lord, Abraham came near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not forgive it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous fare is the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, if I find it Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I'll forgive the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered, let me take it upon myself to speak to the Lord. I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And he said, I'll not destroy it if I find 45 there. Then again, he spoke to him. Suppose 40 are found there. And he answered, for the sake of 40, I'll not do it. And then he said, oh, do not let the Lord be angry if I speak. Suppose 30 are found there. And he answered, if I do, will, will not do it, I will find, if I, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, let me take it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. And he answered, for the sake of 20, I will not do it, destroy it. And then he said, oh, let not the, oh, oh, do not let the Lord be angry if I speak just once more. Suppose 10 are found there. And he answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham and Abraham returned to his place. Now this story is sometimes framed in a couple of different ways. One of them is framed as, uh, you know, Abraham, and I, uh, of course, this is the anti-Semitic way of framing the story, um, and it's so, it's so shallow. It says, this is a story about Abraham just being a shrewd dealer, right? So Abraham won't stop negotiating, you know, and there, there's been a, a way of interpreting that with this uh, anti-Semitic uh, connotations that's really unfortunate. That's just about Abraham not failing to get what he wants. He keeps pushing with the story. And that's not altogether what the story is about. There's another way of interpreting this story, that it's about Abraham's boldness. That Abraham, now in this relationship with God, is going to God and Abraham is not afraid to bring to God what Abraham wants. And says, Abraham, knowing that his nephew is living down there, has interest in the story. And so Abraham is come bringing his interest to God and is bold in doing so. And I, I do think there is a thread there. But this story is not really about what Abraham wants. Notice what it is that Abraham did in coming to this bargaining table with God. 
Do you notice the specific terms that he uses to come to God and to bring to God what, what the problem is with this whole story? Come back with me to verse, um, back to verse 23. Abraham came near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous, right? Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And that term keeps coming up. Suppose there are 50 righteous in the city. Um, will you forgive it for the 50 righteous? Or in verse 25, far be it from you to do such a thing to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked. And of course, that thread is going to continue on in the story. Abraham's not bargaining for random people. He's asking God, God, does righteousness matter to you? Or, or God with you is wickedness the same as righteousness? God, will you not make a distinction between a righteous person and what happens to them and a wicked person, what will happen to them? In other words, God, Abraham in this story is exploring with God, even challenging God. God, is righteousness not important to you? Not only that. But look in verse 25 again with me. Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous fare is the wicked. And, there's the, and then there's this sentence. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Abraham is standing before God and says, God, not only am I asking, is righteousness meaningful to you? Is righteousness important to you? But God, what about justice? Doesn't justice matter to you, God? You're the judge of all the earth. Will you not do what is just? It's almost as if God in selecting Abraham is getting exactly what he asked for, maybe even more than he bargained for. Because when God said about Abraham that I will, I will charge him and the people, his children after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice and moments later we have Abraham being an advocate before God for those very things saying oh God aren't righteousness and justice we thought this whole story was about are righteousness and justice going to be important to Abraham or not and here's Abraham saying God aren't they important to you isn't that amazing see this story isn't about what Abraham wants. It's not just about Lot. It's not just about his nephew and the family and making sure that his family is protected. That is there. This story is about Abraham trying to figure out what it is that God wants. And in those very things that God, that are important, right at the heart of what Abraham's family is going to be about, their charge, the things that he's charging his children to be. God finds Abram looking at him with those very words on his lips and saying, 
What about justice? What about righteousness? Did they make a difference to you, God, or not? Isn't that amazing? That in this story, we don't just have a one-sided relationship between Abraham and God. But rather, we have a dynamic, a dynamic relationship in which Abraham has to look at God and say, what is righteousness and justice really to you? And that's what God is trying to do. And, and listen, that's why God told him in the first place, right? Should I hide my, what I'm going to do from Abraham? No, I can't do that because he's going to be a person that was, is going to charge his family with righteousness and justice. And so God says, I've got to open up what I'm really doing here so that Abraham can learn and explore and discover what these things really mean so that his descendants will discover what it means. Because there's going to be times when they're on the other, eye, uh, other side of this where they are the ones crying out and where they are the ones saying, God, we are being uh, treated unjustly, where we need deliverance, we need relief. And then there's going to be times when they're on the part where they are playing the part of the oppressor. Where they've forgotten how important justice and righteousness are to God. God is welcoming Abraham and his descendants into the discovery and the formation of righteousness and justice. And in the words of the old song, you know that old hymn that you've all learned. Father Abraham had many sons and daughters. And I am one of them. And so are you. Right arm. I mean, well, we'll just leave that part off. But, uh. This story comes back around too. And it comes back to you and to me, who as people who are trying to follow Jesus together, join with Abraham in these questions. And sometimes questioning before God, saying, God, does righteousness matter? Sometimes saying before God, God, does justice matter or not? And then we have to chew, dive deeper, Continue to ask, continue to wonder, continue to explore and say, what is it? What really is at the heart of God's desire for a people of righteousness and justice? What does it mean for us? What does it mean for us to join in, to come stand next to Abraham, to listen in on the story, but then to join in in the conversation too, right? And to continue in the explanation and to take Jesus aside sometimes and say, Jesus, I'm on board with being a person of justice and righteousness, but God, I need you to teach me a little bit more about what that means. I need you to teach me what it means to be a person who lives out these all important values at the heart of God. Be, to be a person that, that does righteousness and justice, I mean, that's part of what Abraham says, but he's, or God says about Abraham, but he also says it this way. 
to be a person who will keep the way of the Lord. And I think that's what it comes down to us too, right? We are people who are seeking to keep the way of the Lord. And I want to ask you what that means for you right now. I mean, isn't that where it comes back around to us? I mean, we've been, we've been exploring the, the way of Jesus in uh, the Sermon on the Mount. We've been trying to discover what it is that God's at work doing in the world, in this mission and in his story. And it, we always keep coming back to this question, like what does it mean for me? You know, what does it mean for me as, as a teacher or as a student? Or what does it mean for me as a friend with somebody who's having a hard time? What does it mean for me to be in a, with a neighbor? Uh, what does it mean for me to be in the office that I work in? Or what does it mean for me in my retirement? What, what does it mean for me in the kind of messy life of being a community of faith, a church sometimes? What does it mean for me to keep the way of the Lord? What does it mean for me to be part of the family of Abraham who has been charged to live differently in the world? To be a person that keeps the way of the Lord. And that's when I think we come back to stories like this. And we come and sometimes with patience and sometimes with frustration. We sit with Sarah and Abraham in the tent and we say, how can the thing that they have been promised actually be true? Sometimes we walk with them as they experience something like a famine and have to go down to Egypt and they feel like they're imperiled and, 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 and like Sarah who apparently is the most beautiful 90-year-old woman in the world, all of a sudden they feel like they're threatened. And we journey with them through the birth of Ishmael and the, the story of Isaac. We jump into all these places in the old story and we keep asking with the story, God, what is it that you're doing? Where does this story go? And the more we keep asking those questions and then asking God some of the hard questions about what is it that, God, what is it that really matters to you? We find that no longer are we just witnesses of the ancient story we find that we are being folded in to the story that is new all the time. And the threads, which sometimes are threads of beauty and wonder and joy, and sometimes those threads that are threads like the story of the exile are threads of pain, that sometimes those threads are woven into our lives too. We find that the story of God matters to us. And that because we're being woven into it and because we're being made a people of righteousness and a people of justice, the story of God that is woven into us and through us, that story doesn't just matter to us. It matters to the people around us too. It matters 
to the people who were for us like, like Lot was to Abraham. People who we see that sometimes they're, we're, we're so worried about them. And we're, yeah, anybody have anybody in their life that you're kind of worried about right now? The end of this story is that Abraham is standing out on a ledge and he's, he looks out and he sees the smoke coming up from Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's worried. But the story ends by telling us that God remembered Abraham and somehow rescued Lot and delivered him out of the city of Sodom. So we long for that. Even as we see the smoke over the city, wonder how it could have been different, right? God still is a God of covenant. That doesn't mean that we always know what the answers are. We don't always know how to make sense of the smoke that's coming over the city. But it means that at the end, at the end of the story, when the morning comes, somehow we find our way to believe that God is still with us in it. That God is still with us and that the story is ongoing. Even as we're trying to figure out what it all means sometimes. So that's what I know to do with this story so far. But I'm not done with it. I mean, I'm done with it today. If you're wondering how much longer the sermon's going to be, I'm done with it today. But, like, but I know I've got to keep coming back to it. Because God and I, we're not done dealing yet. And I haven't asked all my questions yet. And I don't think God's given me all his answers yet either. But I'm going to keep asking. And I think God's going to keep asking me too. And I think somehow in the middle of all that, God is continuing to charge me to be a person of justice and righteousness. I think God is still teaching me. I think God is still teaching us what it means to be people who will keep the way of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. Oh God, we wish we had all of the answers and we can't say that we are content with not knowing them all. But even in that dark place, would you give us the faith to keep walking, to keep searching, to keep exploring with you, keep shaping us, oh God. And may we be people, people of justice and righteousness people who keep your way. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.